It takes a village, or so they say, but it also takes someone forming the relationships and coordinating the efforts to make that village work well. In New Mexico, that was Maria Perez, who served as the village leader for the Ranked Choice Voting Movement. Today, we talk with Maria Perez about her role in efforts to implement Ranked Choice Voting in Santa Fe a decade after voters approved the reform. Now with Common Cause, Perez has continued to champion RCV, coordinating implementation efforts in Las Cruces and continued advocacy statewide. Welcome, Maria. So good to have you here. Tell me about exactly what your charge was when you started in your work in New Mexico. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, that is correct. I uh, started this work with Ranked Choice Voting uh, in my capacity as director of Fair Vote New Mexico. And that was, I started that job in early 2017. Tell me about what was going on in Santa Fe at the time and what you were tasked to do when you came on. Ranked choice voting had been put as a ballot question to the voters back in 2008. And the voters, by a 65% margin, decided that they wanted to have ranked choice voting for their local municipal election. Again, this is in 2008. I started this work, like I said, in Santa Fe in 2017. So it's been nine years since the voters had decided they wanted ranked choice voting and it had not been implemented yet. So my task was to ensure implementation in Santa Fe for the 2018 municipal election. As I understand it, there was some hurdles and back and forth to realize implementation. During implementation was not an easy task in Santa Fe as it you know, has proven not to be in, in many jurisdictions. And mostly it had to do with a high level of resistance from the city council. It doesn't matter when you implement, there is an election coming up soon and somebody's going to be running for re-election. That was the case in Santa Fe. People on the city council were very nervous about implementing this new way of voting. It wasn't the way that they got elected. There was a lot of concern about are voters going to understand this? Are the machines going to work? Sky is falling, basically. There were so many worries about all sorts of things, not only from the city councilors, but also from the city clerk who was uh, charged with actually administering the election. There were two different votes at the city council level as to whether to implement ranked choice voting for the 2018 election. Now, mind you, this isn't the city charter, so it's not the discretion of the city council to decide to kick the can down the road a little more. They had to implement. The, the equipment was there, was ready, the machines were ready, it was time to do it. But both times the city council voted against implementation and they wanted to just wait a little bit longer. It was a matter of whether we could bring up a legal challenge to that decision, and we did. We were able to uh, get some funding to file a lawsuit. We found a wonderful attorney that took the case on, and uh, we had to take this to the courts. The case was decided at the district court where the judge, Judge Thompson, said, you know, that the charter does not allow for the city clerk's anxiety about this or the city councilor's anxiety about this. It is the city's law to implement ranked choice voting and it must be done. At that point, the city appealed that to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the state said this case has been decided by the district court. It has to be implemented. We did get that ruling. It was about eight weeks before the election. So we got about two months to actually get this done educate the candidates, educate the voters, and get this implemented for um, our March 2018 election. 
Wow. And so let's talk about voter education. So, you know, you go through all of this. Obviously, the voters were the people who wanted this. But that at that point had been 10 years before, not necessarily all the same groups of voters. And you have, as you said, a couple of months to teach voters about a completely new system. And also noting that many of the voters there are also native Spanish speakers. So to educate not only in English, but in Spanish as well. Yeah, so voter education was really the key because if we did not cure a successful implementation, we were going to run into a lot of problems, right? This had to be successful. First step that I took was immediately, I think it was the day after the court ruled, I went and met with the city's public information officer. Let's put this legal battle behind us and let's move forward together as a team. What is the city prepared to do? What is uh, the coalition of community partners that I was leading prepared to do? What are our resources? What are we good at? How can we fill as many gaps as possible? So we came up with a really good plan during that meeting, which was that the city was going to take the 30,000 feet approach to voter education. They were going to run some radio ads. They were going to develop a a website and sort of like a branding campaign to get the the voters educated on this. And what we were going to do as the coalition of community groups was really hit the voters more on a one-to-one or small group level. I was very fortunate to have some funding to do this. So, you know, one of the things we did was to re-grant some money to a local base building organization to do a door knocking canvas to educate the voters, particularly in low income neighborhoods where mostly people of color and low propensity voters live. This is a lot of where the Spanish speaking population of the city lives also. So so the canvas was done bilingually. They had materials in Spanish and in English. Basically the materials were a sample ballot. We were also able to grant a small grant to another community-based organization that works um, building leadership skills for Latino families. So it's a multi-generational program that they run there. And we were able to work with 10 of their community leaders and train them on ranked choice voting messaging. And then they were charged, each one of them, to reach out to their networks, do presentations at their schools, their churches, their neighborhoods, community centers, senior centers, push information about ranked choice voting on their social net, social media networks. That actually had a lot of reach, even though it was just 10 leaders that we were working with. Uh, each one of those leaders reached, you know, 100 people or so. So that was um, That was great. And additionally, you know, we just did a ton of community presentations. We did a lot of train the trainers workshops with folks who were going to be getting out the vote anyway. So people like the League of Women Voters, people like the Democratic Party, just groups like this who were going to be engaged in reaching reaching out to voters and, and getting out the vote. We trained them on how do you talk to people about ranked choice voting and gave everybody a big stack of postcards of uh, sample ballots that they could distribute. And additionally, this is a key piece of it that really is important, and I would encourage everybody to do this as, as your first step in voter education, is to do a training for candidates and their campaign staff, right? Because each candidate is going to be knocking on hundreds of doors, reaching out to many, many voters. So they need to be on point. They need to know how to message. They need to know how to explain ranked choice voting to their voters. And we also gave each campaign a big stack of postcards with those sample ballots on it in English and in Spanish. So they did a lot of work. And it's in their interest, right? They need to know that their voters are going to know how to how to use this ballot and that they understand the system. So we did this, you know, in a flash. We had eight weeks and we got it done and it was very successful. 
tell me about how the election went. What were the measures that you considered to show success? The election was very successful. You know, the main sort of data point is that we had a 10% voter turnout increase. I think that it really goes to show that, that people were engaged by this new voting system. The other thing that, that we found, and, and we conducted an exit poll, so, you know, we got some information about this. We found out that uh, about 65% of the voters actually ranked all five of the mayoral candidates on their ballot. So, you know, this shows me that people that people understood it, that it wasn't confusing to them, that they were on board with, with the idea of, of ranking, of just, you know, if, if there's a candidate you love, great, rank him number one. And if they can't win, then which candidate do you like? Rank him number two and so forth. So people really got that. Another piece that we got from our exit poll was that over 90% of the voters said that they were either satisfied or very satisfied with the new vote, voting method. So people liked it and people want to continue having this kind of election in Santa Fe. Not only was it great for Santa Fe, but as we know, it is spreading across the state. Las Cruces is going to be using ranked choice voting also in their upcoming election. So tell me about how you kind of got from Santa Fe to Las Cruces. And also now there's a question about it, at least being considered in Albuquerque. This has uh, taken, you know, there's uh, partners and champions across the stakeholder spectrum, right? So like I was working with Santa Fe on the municipal level and simultaneously, you mentioned the Secretary of State before. Our Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, is a big champion for good democracy reforms and she really uh, supports ranked choice voting. So she and her office were working with some state legislators to make some changes in our state law that would make it easier for municipalities to adopt ranked choice voting. So as the legal battle was happening in Santa Fe, our uh, state legislature was in session and they passed a law that made it easier for municipalities to adopt ranked choice voting. And what that means is that municipalities can now adopt ranked choice voting by ordinance rather than having to do it through a ballot question to the voters, right? So this Mm -hmm. simplifies things tremendously. And there additionally is a financial incentive now that got passed into state law this year that states, you know, the state will pay for your local election. But if you want to have a separate runoff at a different date, then the municipality is on the hook for that expense. For cities that have a separate runoff, like Las Cruces did and like Albuquerque does, there is that additional incentive. You know, if we just do an instant runoff, if we just adopt ranked choice voting and get the runoff part of the election taken care of with one trip to the polls, the state will pay for that election and the city won't have to to make that additional expense, which in the case of Albuquerque, it's significant. I mean, it's almost a million dollars every election cycle. So, you know, that's taxpayer money that does not need to be spent on a separate runoff election. What happened with Las Cruces is this law was passed sort of at the same time that the Santa Fe election happened. You know, Las Cruces waited to see how Santa Fe went because it was the first time that a city in in New Mexico was going to do this. Was this new law that allowed them to change the way that they were doing their elections by ordinance? The council decided this is a good idea for us. It's good to save our uh, taxpayers money and avoid that additional runoff election. Let's just do this. Around this time last year, the city council in Las Cruces unanimously voted to adopt ranked choice voting. And uh, we are now working on an implementation plan for them, voter education candidate and uh, campaign training. We're doing that next month. So, you know, Las Cruces is positioned to have a very successful ranked choice voting election as well. Now, Albuquerque, there is an ordinance at the city council level right now 
a bill to adopt ranch choice voting. I don't know what is going to happen to that. There is a lot of resistance on that city council at the moment. We are pushing for 2019 implementation. If that doesn't happen, we are going to be pushing for 2021 implementation. It, it's just something that makes sense for Albuquerque. But again, there is sort of that, that fear of change from the city council, from some members of the city council, and they just don't want, they, they don't want to do it. Sure. And switching gears a little bit, you fought so hard and worked so tirelessly on this campaign, you know, first for Fair Vote and now with Common Cause. What what got you interested in this kind of work? You know, I have a bit of an unusual way of thinking about this kind of work. By training, I am a doctor of Chinese medicine. I am uh, I have a master's in public health. And my background for, you know, 15 years or so before I started doing this work was really on public health and on health equity and health policy. I spent many years working on a policy to improve access to health care and housing and education and, you know, environmental justice and all these things, both here in New Mexico. And uh, I also did that work in the Bay Area for some years. And even though that work was very rewarding to me, and that's where my passion lies, After the 2016 presidential election, it just hit me like a train that our democracy was crumbling right in front of my eyes and that if we actually don't have a democracy, then all of these things that I've been working on in terms of health equity and health policy and sort of social justice at that level, none of that is going to matter. If we have a bad political system that does not allow for a democracy to flourish, then none of that other stuff matters. So I decided to shift gears at that point. I decided I'm going back to New Mexico where, you know, I feel like I need to do my work here. Um, This is where I belong. And I need to work on democracy as the ultimate indicator of health equity. And this is how I see this work. I see it as a public health issue. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not it's not the usual story. Yeah, definitely. And so sort of fun question that I always like to ask the guests on the podcast is speaking of the health and the health equity of our democracy, if you could pick any one reform to enact nationwide, what would you choose and why? And it doesn't have to be ranked choice voting, no bonus points, you know, you're, no pressure, whatever you think. Boy, that's a really hard one. I mean, you know, I do think it's ranked choice voting because, like I said, I think that's sort of like an upstream reform that that would have rippling effects all the way down the policy line, right? So there's that. But outside of ranked choice voting, I would say pay equity. So because I think it's ridiculous that, that, you know, over 50% of the population is treated as a second-class citizen in this country for equal time and equal work, right? So I think if we actually treat everybody, men and women in this country equally and pay them equally for equal work, that would make a huge difference in terms of how, you know, people are able to take care of their families, how people are able to grow personally and professionally, how people would actually treat one another and respect one another. I think that, you know, and I I mean, I, I am raising a kid, I'm raising a son. I think that it would be so important for him to grow up knowing that his peers who are women are equal to him. That's something that I tried to instill in him, but, you know, he's not getting that same messaging from the world and society. I think that would make a huge difference, that one policy change. Well, thank you so much, Maria. I really appreciate it. And it was great to hear about your story and the story that is still happening in New Mexico. 